All right, John, thank you very much. Appreciate it. I'm Chris Cuomo and welcome to primetime. Now, I often wonder if people who are living during times that will be historic know it because we sure are. Do you realize that? Do you realize that people will be talking about this period in American history for decades and decades and decades to come? And my greatest fear is that the historicity of it, that historically it will be seen as a bad moment for democracy. Why? Because we've never seen one party in this damnable two-party system that we insist on go all in on a lie. So half of your political system is invested in a lie. That's happening. It's not just Trump. The whole party practically backs actively or passively selling that the election was not legitimate. And I don't think enough people get that this may be just beginning. Why keep talking about Trump? Because he's the head of the movement. Yeah, but the election's over. He can run again. And they are all preparing to undermine anyone's confidence who isn't voting for them. The key moment that I think shows where we are and where we could be headed is not January 6th. It's a moment that came after, a moment it was clear that Trumpers decided the best play was to do democracy dirty. I put it on this moment of May 12th. I don't think anybody is questioning the legitimacy of the presidential election. I think that is all over with. Now, McCarthy knew questioning the anchor of our democracy, our elections, was a bad thing to do. But he also knew he was going to do it. That same day, McCarthy said one did one thing, but he did another. He kicked Liz Cheney out from her number three spot. Remember that same day that he said nobody's really doing that. Why did he kick her out? Because she didn't back Trump, because she refused to question Biden's victory. That was the day that it became clear that this was not all over. In fact, they were all in. The man who helped the House Minority Leader McCarthy oust Cheney, House Minority Whip Scalise, made clear just this Sunday that the right has become consumed with something very wrong. Do you think the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump. I've been very clear from the beginning. If you look at a number of states, they didn't follow their state passed laws. So you think the election was stolen? What I said is there are states that didn't follow their legislatively set rules. Do you think the election was stolen or not? I understand you think there were irregularities and things that need to be fixed. Do you think the election was stolen? And it's not just irregular. It's states that did not follow the laws set, which the Constitution says they're supposed to follow. He can't say it. You can ask him a hundred times. The point is to go to why he won't say it. And that is because he's banking on the lie to motivate scared, almost exclusively white voters. Now, what I hope you can pay attention to is his rationale. He says, we must get back to the Constitution. That sounds great. It sounds patriotic. It is hollow. Why? 
the elections clause to the United States Constitution does make clear that time, place, and manner elements of our elections should be done by the state. States should make the rules, and Congress can change them. He says states didn't follow their own laws. One, it's not about the Constitution. Don't wave it around like that makes you a patriot. You're lying. Lying is what is a judgment on your patriotism. And more importantly, him saying states didn't follow the laws, just because you say it a lot does not make it true. And it is not true according to the state officials who all certified, including GOP officials in key states. This is not about the law. It is not about the Constitution. And it is not about the facts. Conversely, it is about making those things not matter. They took Liz Cheney's position, but she still has a voice and she tweeted the truth. Millions of Americans have been sold a fraud that the election was stolen, Liz Cheney says. And Republicans have a duty to tell the American people that is not true. Their only duty, apparently, is to win. How else to explain a senator with 40 years of experience, Chuck Grassley, who called what Trump tried to pull off unconstitutional after January 6th. Now, leading this horrifying defense of Trump's coup attempt, a rebuttal to his own Senate Judiciary Panel's findings, words I never thought I would hear from an American government official, that trying to overthrow our democracy was, quote, not unreasonable. And he took that garbage on the road this weekend to literally stand by Trump's side at a rally. Listen to this. He got together his advisors, seven or eight people from the Justice Department and other people, and he listened to their testimony. And in the end, he decided he wasn't willing to do what one of those people in the Justice Department urged him to do. Maybe you can overthrow this election. That was the advice that one person in the Justice Department was suggesting, but just one person, and he, he rejected all that. What a shame. Forty years. Right down the toilet, Grassley. Right down the toilet. Trump rejected all that? Again, Grassley is the man who said what Trump tried with Pence was unconstitutional. The senator is lying. Grassley's own committee found that Trump pressured top DOJ officials nine times to overturn the election. Trump summoned them to the Oval Office. He wasn't the audience. Trump's own lawyer laid out a coup blueprint for Mike Pence to follow step by step. Trump asked Georgia's Secretary of State to find him 11,780 votes. The truth is obvious. And that makes Grassley and all the others' insistence on denying it so frightening. This isn't about being angry. This isn't about calling people names. We're way past that. I don't even know what the fix is. Defending a demagogue is bad enough. But this is not about changing the past. It's about putting the future in peril. Now, listen to this. Hillary conceded. I never conceded. Never. No reason to concede. You lost. That's the reason. 
because you respect something other than your own satisfaction. That's why. However, while Trump is desperately trying to sell the big lie, he just told the truth about one thing, and it is key. You heard him in the first part. Clinton did concede. Clinton conceded, he said. You know why? Because she did. Remember that. You're going to hear people on the right who want you to sleep on this threat, saying, come on, this is no different than what happened when Clinton won and she was shocked and she wouldn't concede. She did concede. It's no different than Stacey Abrams or the Democrats did when they lost. That is a lie. Now, that doesn't mean I don't like what they're saying. Again, I think the two-party system is killing us and its time has passed. This is about something else. A lie doesn't mean I don't like it. It's not a K away from a different word. You know, if you don't like it, it's a lie. It's not how it works. There were questions that Stacey Abrams and other Democrats had about rules and counts. There often are questions. Our election system is imperfect. We have made it more so with what's happening around the states right now. There's nothing wrong with pushing back and looking for proof. That's my job. And if there were proof to be found, we would blast it because that is the best currency of this democracy. Questioning is different than finding no proof and then lying and refusing to certify. That's what Trump and co did. There are not good people on both sides of this argument. And I will be damned if I sit by and don't say this as plainly as possible, because this will be remembered. And there are not good people on both sides. This is not a good faith dispute. It is bad faith. They know the election was not rigged. They know it was legitimate. Anyone telling you with full knowledge that they have no proof and yet the election wasn't legit is part of an effort that may lead us to an all-time low. Sadly, I think Bill Maher has it right. I was a young man of 59 when I started using the term slow-moving coup. And it pains me to have to report it's still moving. 2024 comes and Democrats treat it as a normal election year. They are living in a dream world. Even if they win, Trump won't accept it. But this time, his claims of illegal voting by immigrants or mail-in ballots coming in after the deadline or the system was hacked by Venezuela or whatever Giuliani comes up with on the fly. They will be fully embraced by the stooges he's installing right now. The ding-dongs who sacked the Capitol last year, that was like when Al-Qaeda tried to take down the World Trade Center the first time with a van. It was a joke. But the next time they came back with planes. Now, listen, you can take issue. 9-11 is a sensitive thing. Bill Maher tests. That's what he does. I'm not here uh, to critique his style. What I'm saying is that he is not wrong, that this is not over. And that January 6th was scary, but it was probably just symbolic. 
of what may be to come. Let's bring in a better mind who's been listening to what's being said. Phil Bump is one of our best cultural watchdogs. Not that he's going to come out bash this. That he listens, this guy. I read him all the time, not just because of the genius or the cleverness of the things he comes up with at the Washington Post, how to explain things, but he listens to what's happening in the society around us. And he sees things often in a way that it takes the rest of us more time to see. And you've been talking about this, that there is this invitation that if it was incomplete, it's okay. That if it wasn't an express felony, then it is fine because they only attempted it, but it never happened, so it's okay. What do you think of the idea that things are not over, Philip, that there is more to come of the same variety and worse? Yeah, I think it's an almost certainty. I mean, we saw in California during the recall election, for example, Larry Elder, the leading Republican candidate, tried to sow the seeds of, you know, claims of fraud even before the election happened. I mean, he had a website up basically saying that there had been rampant fraud before voting was done. He ended up getting beaten badly enough that he didn't try and go to that well. But I think we're absolutely in 2024 going to see states that are facing new pressure uh, you know, legislators in those states, executives in those states who have watched what happened in 2020, who understand the importance of certification, who understand what the pressure points are uh, in a way that they didn't coming into the 2020 election. But now all of this has been tested. There's been this trial run. And I think it's almost certain that we will see states if there are close results in those states who come back and say, you know what, we're not certain about this thing and we're not going to certify the results and throw everything into tumult. Well, you have states that could change the results. Uh, it's not so much we're going to recount. Now, look, I think, again, uh, how the system works and how we vet the system and what the layers are, that's one thing. But this is about passions uh, over proof. And what did you make of the fact that over the weekend, Trump put out a video to mark the birthday of Ashley Babbitt? It's the rioter, obviously, you know, but the rioter, uh, the woman veteran fell under the, uh, the kind of seduction of the Q sp- uh, conspiracy. And she wound up being shot and killed trying to break through a door inside the Capitol. Um, what do you make of Trump celebrating her? I mean, I mean, I'll say it first. I don't think there's anyone in America who doesn't wish she hadn't died that day. There was no reason for her to. There was no reason for them to be in the Capitol in the way that they were, quite obviously. But all of them were suffering under this delusion that Trump had fomented about there being this widespread electoral fraud. The person who bears responsibility for her death primarily is Donald Trump. The fact that he came out, and it wasn't just that he was sort of celebrating her life and you know recognizing her service to the country because she served in the Air Force— because he was recasting her as a victim. He right. was he was continuing this argument that he's made that the, the people who've been arrested because of January 6th are somehow political prisoners. And he was celebrating her essentially as a martyr, which is exactly what happens in circumstances historically. When you see, for example, fascist North authoritarians seize power, they, they seize upon these incidents as emotional ways of reframing political violence. And Trump has long embraced political violence. He has, he has, he has nodded at it and been approving of it in, in various circumstances. And this is a very direct example of that centered on a day in which people tried to overthrow uh, you know, the results of the 2020 election. Philip Bump, I appreciate you being here. The reason I am not saying, so what's the fix, is because I don't answer questions that I know there is no good answer to. And we don't know right now. But we do know there's a problem and that too many people are sleeping on it. 
Philip, as a, always a pleasure, brother. I'll check with you soon. Now, look, again, I don't believe it is a question whether Trump would try to undermine anything that works to his advantage. He has never done anything else. What's new is not his habits. It's that they have been adopted by an entire party. An expert on authoritarianism is here. Don't get caught up with like, you know, big words. It's about how democracies do in fact die. Let's have a talk next. You're going to hear people telling you increasingly that there's danger and you will hear the people who are accused of causing it saying, boy, listen to them clutching their pearls and all these other silly ways of dismissing the urgency. If you ask the Republicans who were willing to defy Trump and voted to convict him for inciting the insurrection, even they will say there is nothing to worry about. I'm waiting for sound. But now it's just become a pregnant pause. Have leaders of the Republican Party who have willingly gone along as though they're members of a cult. We are still in the midst of a concerted, well-funded effort to undermine uh, American democracy. We all saw in real time what happened on January 6th at the Capitol building. This was, in effect, a dress rehearsal for something that could be happening near term in 2022, 2024. Now, what you just heard there is true, but there's a huge problem with it that gets to one of the big reasons that we are stuck on this course. Let's bring in a truly better mind, Stephen Levitsky. He is a professor of government at Harvard and the author of How Democracies Die. Professor, thank you uh, for taking the invitation. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Chris. So the flaw is not that what Clinton said or what Fiona Hill said is wrong. It's that they will not be listened to. Forget about Clinton. And Fiona Hill, she went bad on Trump. So nobody who believes the big lie will ever listen to either of them. When you size up our situation, we all get the problem. Do you see a path to correction or what a fix is here that's being ignored? Well, I don't think very many Republican leaders believe the big lie. Uh, The problem is they're willing to either remain silent or perpetuate the big lie. And I think the the most straightforward way out of this mess is for mainstream Republicans to stop lying, to start telling the truth to their supporters, and to be willing not to support Donald Trump when he runs – for president again in 2024. If we build a broad coalition that includes uh, all wings of the Democratic Party and Republicans who believe in, who still believe in democracy, um, then the, the, the authoritarian forces in this country can be isolated and defeated. How so? Heading- because here's what I don't understand about that. I read the op-ed uh, from, um, who was it? Christy Todd uh, Whitman and... Um, uh, Miles Taylor, uh, who wrote uh, the anonymous, the, you know, the, the thing about uh, Trump. Um, Miles Taylor. The, uh, here's the part I don't get. Help me with this, Professor. They say we got to join with the Democrats, uh, moderate Democrats, to make sure that we get people who are legit in there and get rid of these Trumpers. 
Um, that doesn't work in an election structure. You've got to elect Republicans or Democrats because we're in a damned two-party system. So how do you manifest what you see as this coalition of the conscientious? Well, first of all, I'm not saying it's easy. There's no silver bullet. There's no mag magic formula for saving our democracy. We are, without question, headed into some rough waters. But what it's going to take is, first of all, it's going to take you know, kudos to, to Christy Todd Whitman, but it's going to take more Republicans uh, refusing to support any, uh, any ballot, any, any nominees who align with Trump. So that means backing Democratic candidates. Uh, it, it, won't, it won't change. There will still be a, a, a large number of votes for Trump, but it's not enough to win. It, it would reduce the authoritarian core to you know, 35% of the vote, mm. and that's enough to win. I get you on the 2024 scale. I guess I'm thinking more 2022, but I, I hear you. Now let's reverse it for a second. People will listen to us and say, ah, the bookish guy from Harvard and, you know, Cuomo's never found something that uh, didn't make him upset. Uh, this is nothing. This is just politics. Uh, when the Democrats say something's wrong with an election, uh, that's OK. The Republicans say it now. They're all authoritarians. Do you believe that there is any hype um, to the suggestion that the big lie is an existential problem for this democracy? Look, I think it was reasonable that when Daniel and I wrote How Democracies Die in 2017, when it came out in 2018, that people said, ah, oh, these guys are, are, are overstating the case. They're, they're a little too alarmist. I think after the 2020 election, when Donald Trump became the first president in the history of the U.S. Republic, to refuse to accept defeat, when Donald Trump spent two months actively seeking to overturn the election, to steal the election illegally, calling 30 public officials, including governors, secretaries of state, let state legislatures, telling them, asking them to find him votes, to steal the election, and then incited a, uh, the first violent assault on the Capitol in more than 200 years. Um, it's difficult to, for me to imagine anybody n thinking that that those who are concerned about the, the fate of U.S. democracy um, are alarmist anymore. I think uh, for, for, for the vast majority of Americans, the threat is very clear. Hmm. Uh, Professor, the book is How Americans Die. How do oh, God forbid. How Democracies Die. Um, how Democracies Die. Die. Now, it was written a few years ago, and it was seen as, uh, you know, this is smart, but this is what academics do. Uh, they, they exaggerate things for effect to show how smart they are. They could have never guessed uh, that it would come the way it has come afterwards, because nobody saw Trump coming in this kind of situation that we have. But, uh, Professor Levitsky, it is worth a read, uh, although you're going to have to add some chapters, uh, because I think that we have some in extremists. Uh, yet to come. And I'd love to have you back on the show. As we see what the next play is, I would love you uh, to help the audience fit it into the context of what it could mean. Okay? We have another book coming, Chris. Oh, beautiful. Uh, hopefully, it's not an epitaph. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. All right, I got good news. And good news regarding the pandemic. But none of it means that we can let our guard down. I want to bring in a former FDA commissioner, which is, you know, good because we don't really have one right now. Um, and I want him to talk about that 
and what is in front of us. Okay, next. Tony Fauci says you can trick or treat. I find that hilarious. Tony Fauci's job isn't to tell you whether or not you can trick or treat. Of course, these are all decisions that we have to make for ourselves. It's about where the risk is and why. It's not about do or don't. As we approach the holidays beyond today, Americans across the country are wondering what that may look like for the second year amid the pandemic. Vaccines, we've done well, we're not where we need to be. Take home tests, you can get, buy them at CVS, not hard to use. I do multiple ones because they are not as reliable as PCR tests, but there's something. Maybe now you get an oral drug. You do know that the drug, if you take it by mouth or monoclonal antibodies, you do know they don't keep you from getting sick, right? I really wish whoever is putting that idea in your head would stop. The pill, monoclonal antibodies, those help you once you are very sick. They don't keep you from getting sick. It's a key distinction. The vaccine does. Now, where are we and where are we going to be? Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. My next guest is the author of Uncontrolled Spread, Why COVID-19 Crushed Us and How We Can Defeat the Next Pandemic. He says we're closer to the end than some may think. Joining us now, former FDA commissioner, member of Pfizer's board of directors, Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Good to see you, Doc. How big a deal is it that we don't have a confirmed commissioner for the FDA? Well, look, we have a very good acting commissioner of the FDA. Dr. Janet Woodcock, who ran the drug center for years, um, has been in that seat all through the Biden administration. She's a very competent hand. I think, quite frankly, the administration was better off with an experienced official in that role than bringing in someone from the outside. Having been in that role myself, I could tell you there's a very steep learning curve. And having someone who can hit the ground day one and be effective right from the outset, I think has been an advantage for the administration as opposed to trying to recruit someone from the outside. Now, that said, they've said that they're going to appoint someone into that position imminently or or make an announcement about an appointment maybe within days right now. Yeah. Um, My my sources in the administration say the same thing. and They're worried they're going to trade down. Uh, But I just wanted to uh, get that out there on the record because it's a point of of, you know, they're keeping uh, the, the Republicans are keeping this uh, from happening. But right now, the status quo isn't the worst thing. All right. So I think messaging is getting screwed up here again. Pandemic, endemic. These are not words that people use. Uh, explain to me where we are transitioning from and to in terms of what it means in everyday life. Well, look, we're in a pandemic right now where there's uncontrolled spread across the world and across the United States, for that matter. At some point, we're going to transition to a phase when this becomes a persistent risk. But you don't have the extreme levels of virus that we have right now in certain parts of the country. And that's when this becomes an endemic illness like flu, like other viruses, Coxsackie virus, enterovirus. It doesn't go away, but we learn to deal with it as a persistent menace. And it's not it's not a binary point in time. We're not going to be able to say, aha, that was the moment. But we are transitioning 
happening there right now. And I think this Delta wave of infection is probably the last major wave of infection that we're going to have to grapple with before this starts to become a more endemic risk. Um, many people think, including myself, that the Delta variant will become the dominant variant and future mutations that we see will be within that Delta lineage. One reason why we may eventually switch the vaccines over to a Delta backbone vaccine. But we're not through this Delta wave yet. The South is through it, and that's bringing down the virus levels across the country. But other parts of the country still haven't had their real Delta wave yet. Now, if people hear this and say, then why mandate the vaccine? We're going to get through it anyway. Uh, and if people want the vaccine, they get it. If not and they get sick, they got the pill, they can get the antibodies. Don't mandate it. It's just causing trouble. What's your response? Well, look, the reason why we're going to get through this and the reason why we're going to accelerate our way through this pandemic to an endemic phase with this virus is because of the vaccine. If you look at past pandemics, they've lasted upwards of five years. This pandemic probably won't last that long for the West. And the reason is, is because of our technological toolbox, which you laid out very well at the top. It's not just the vaccines, it's the therapeutics. It's the point of care diagnostics where people could, could self-diagnose at home and get themselves treated. But the vaccine is a key part of that. The fact that we could build a wall of immunity through vaccination and not just mass infecting the population is going to be how we accelerate our way out of the pandemic into an endemic phase with this virus where we can hopefully keep it at bay. You believe, you said this before, kids 5 to 11 being vaccinated, that's the key. Why? Well, look, it's one key. I think we need to protect the children. Um, but what we've seen time and time again is if we can control the virus in adults, we can control the virus in, in children. So if we can get more adults vaccinated and keep the infection level down in adults, that's going to ultimately protect the kids as well as vaccinating them. So, you know, most kids who get infected get it from adults. They're not catching it from other kids in most cases, except where we've seen outbreaks in the school setting. Vaccinating kids is still going to be important. I'm going to vaccinate my kids when they're eligible. Um, a lot of parents, I think, are thinking about vaccinating their kids. Up to a third of parents have said they already made the decision to do it once it's available. And I think every parent should consult their pediatrician and get questions that they have about vaccinating their kids answered. What is Christmas looking like? I think we'll probably be through this Delta wave all around the country sometime around Thanksgiving or shortly thereafter. Prevalence declines around the whole nation. I think we still need to be careful through the winter. This is a winter pathogen. It'll continue to circulate, but not at the levels we're seeing right now after we get through this Delta wave. But, you know, right now you're seeing epidemic spread in the Midwest and the Plains states. I think the North still is going to have some kind of Delta surge, certainly not like what we saw in the South because there's more vaccination and more prior immunity from prior infection. But the northeast and the northern part of parts of the country are still going to see a Delta uptick. But after we get through this Delta surge across the whole country, I think Christmas prevalence levels will start to decline. And as we get into the spring, this will start to really decline. Hmm. We will see the three most loaded words that we have in science or politics. Thank you very much, doctor. Appreciate you. Thanks a lot. All right. So we have a question. Uh, vaccine mandates. Are they screwing up U.S. air travel? Thousands of Southwest Airlines passengers were stranded over the weekend. Did you hear about this? There are these massive flight cancellations. The company gave a reason, but they're being questioned. We're going to dig in with an uh, authority on aviation about whether or not he buys what Southwest is selling. Next. Everything these days is a political football. And somehow the Southwest Airlines meltdown has ended up on the list. 
According to Senator Ted Cruz, the Southwest debacle that resulted in one in 10 flights being canceled today and over 2,000 this weekend is the president's fault. He writes, Joe Biden's illegal vaccine mandate at work. Suddenly, we're short on pilots and air traffic controllers. Hashtag, thanks, Joe. I wonder who the Texas senator spoke to considering the pilots union says the chaos was not a result of the vaccine mandate. I wonder how he feels about the big lie. Why doesn't he spend more time on that? He's a constitutional expert, legal expert, all about law and order. No concerns about bashing elections without proof. Remember you said your proof was what you read in the paper, Ted. Still good with that. Anyway, the airline blamed weather and air traffic control, which is also interesting because the FAA said it has no staffing issues since Friday. Arguably, the only coordinated effort could be from those on the right, uh, considering that tonight, Texas Governor Greg Abbott issued an executive order prohibiting employer vaccine mandates. You'll remember Southwest Airlines is headquartered in Dallas, Texas. Let's get some perspective on the Southwest woes from the Points Guy founder and CEO, Brian Kelly. Good to see you, Brian. Thanks for having me. You think this is about the vaccine mandate or something else? No, I mean, all signs right now point to the fact that it's simply operational uh, staffing shortages. You know, Southwest, uh, you know, incentivize a lot of employees to retire early. And frankly, travel has bounced back so quickly and their schedules are so tight that the littlest things happen and it's a domino effect. Uh, you know, our team at the Points Guy, we've tried to get the inside scoop. Was this a hush hush thing, you know, against the mandate? And everything that's turned back so far is that uh, that is simply not the case. All right. So here's the pushback. Uh, Well, if you were right, then it wouldn't just be Southwest because everybody's dealing with shortages. Everybody's dealing with tight schedules. Uh, Why did this happen to them? Well, Southwest is different. They don't have a hub and, you know, hub and spoke like traditional airlines. And by the way, this is happening to others. Spirit Airlines had a meltdown in July that was very similar. Uh, You know, what happens is with these airlines that don't have hubs is their planes and crews are all over the country. So one can't Installation cascades. Uh, so there might have been a couple weather pockets here or there that most airlines can can recover from. But Southwest has been scheduling its uh, its pilots and its schedules on very tight margins. So this was simply a, a snowball effect. United is reporting 96 percent vaccination among employees. It seems like a lot of people because of the mandate, they want to keep their job or they're just being conscientious. So they comply. Southwest hasn't released numbers thus far. What are you hearing about employees and mandates in the industry? Yeah, I mean, Delta also hasn't uh, officially mandated it to their employees. Um, You know, in Canada, they mandated it, except for local freight carriers. Um, You know, I think, you know, the majority of people support it. People want to be safe while flying. But, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, especially with Governor Abbott and his new executive order. If Southwest is using the vaccine mandate as cover, does that bother you? Of course. I also think it's, you know, shady to throw the the FAA uh, under the bus with blaming them and whether I think they and they also, you know, they lost a lot of credibility coming out and saying that. So they're feeding these conspiracy theories because they were not honest about the true reason uh, for the cancellation. So I think they need to do a much better job, not just at PR, but also with customer service. Thousands of passengers weren't even notified that flights were canceled or 
You know, my friend was rescheduled on a flight, you know, at four in the morning. He got an email that he had to be there at six. So Southwest needs to learn from this. And frankly, all airlines need to do uh, a lot better at, at getting new people to work at the airlines, training new pilots. That's going to be a huge issue in the coming years. Now, you flag that when you're looking at meltdowns like this, uh, don't worry about the vaccine mandates or even um, just staffing shortages, but also new rules. What new rules? New rules, um, I'm not, not exactly sure what you're asking. That uh, uh, the meltdown isn't just about staffing with pilots, but also new rules that uh, mandate crew rest, pilots needing to be behind the door of a hotel uh, now. Yeah. yeah, so the good thing is, you know, to, for, to protect consumers and safety, you know, pilots now need to spend at least eight hours behind a hotel room door. This just makes scheduling, you know, with an already small amount of pilots, um, there's just... Uh, you know, it's it's better for passengers because pilots are well rested, but um, it's making it harder for airline schedulers to make these schedules work. So the simple solution is airlines need to uh, put their operations above profit. You know, United's already doing this with, you know, taking more flights off the schedule so that they don't have these types of uh, hiccups. So uh, I think Southwest is going to have to take a long, hard look at at its fall schedule, especially as holidays are coming up. You know, we already have over 2 million people traveling a day. And especially if kids get vaccinated, there's going to be even more people in the skies. Brian Kelly, founder of The Points Guy. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Gabby Petito reported missing one month ago. A lot more information about her homicides is going to come to light. Uh, Once you know her cause of death, not just that it was a homicide, meaning that somebody caused her death, It'll really point at whether this was someone she knew or it was some other X factor. And the search, where does it stand? Next. Tonight marks one month since Gabby Petito was reported missing. Still a lot of unanswered questions surrounding her death, but by this time tomorrow, we'll probably understand how she died, what was done to her the injuries, and what that tells the county coroner in Wyoming about what may have transpired by her, between her and whoever killed her. And they're going to hold a press conference about the autopsy. All we know from police so far is that the 22-year-old's death was ruled a homicide, meaning death by someone else. How exactly? We're going to know. But what does that mean about who? Now, we know where she was. And Obviously, it's instructive that she was not hidden. She wasn't secreted somewhere. She wasn't buried. She was found in a clearing in Bridger Teton uh, National Park, right by the site. Uh, Listen to the idea of this is if she was found in such a familiar place that maybe this was done in a rush. It was spontaneous. It was an act of passion. That's why people point to fiancé Brian Laundrie, especially because, though he hasn't been accused of any wrongdoing in her killing, and he does have that federal arrest warrant for his alleged unauthorized use of somebody else's debit card, maybe Gabby's, the fact that he didn't contact her family, he wouldn't help with her search, and that then he disappeared are all very, very damaging aspects for him in this situation. Now, we know through witnesses he was with her in the days before she vanished and that they had a tumultuous racial relationship that resulted at one point in a police response to a physical fight that witnesses reported. On September 1st, he came home from the cross-country trip without her, but with her van. And then 
he vanished. Why? There's more that we don't know. The biggest thing for me has always been, what is the good reason for neither him nor his family to talk to the Petitos? Why is there a good reason for him to not have wanted to help with the search? Tomorrow we're going to learn a lot more. And when we do, the real search for Brian Laundry may begin. We're going to take a break, and then we have the handoff. Thank you for watching. Don Lemon tonight with the big star, D. Lemon. Monday night is Monday night football, but football has gone from sport into culture. Into the breaking news category that we're going to cover in a moment. And to get your take here uh, quickly before I get to the breaking news, but... Um, it appears that, before I tell the audience what happened, I'd like to break it by after we speak. Um, this is bad behavior, if true, and behavior... We're talking about John Gruden, John the Gruden coach of, of the, the Las, Las Vegas, Vegas Raiders. Raiders. Yeah. Uh, he was a very popular TV analyst. He was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's a very well-known commodity within the NFL. Uh, he got called out for saying uh, ugly and racist in things emails. about uh, the head of the Players right. Union. Uh, in email, he said, I'm not a racist. He apologized, said it was a long time ago, but now there's more. Yeah, he said there's not a, you know, a stick, I'm paraphrasing here, of, of racism in him. But apparently the new emails, there's been a trove, another trove of emails, Chris, that have been uh, uncovered and revealed. And reportedly in these emails, uh, it doesn't show what he said in that apology that he made uh, just the other evening. So that is our breaking news. I know people are going to be talking about this. They are talking about it now. Um, but well, it's not about football. Yeah. It's about uh, a developing aspect of our culture. Well, let me just give you the breaking news and we can talk about it because there are multiple reports tonight, Chris, that John Gruden is resigning as a Las Vegas, the head of the Las Vegas Raiders. Again, this is all coming in in the wake of a bombshell New York Times report detailing how Gruden used misogynistic and anti-gay language in numerous emails during a seven-year period. And again, uh, I think I still have Chris with me. If he's not, yep. I want him to talk. Good. This is all according to the New York Times, Chris. Uh, that Gruden sent emails to Bruce Allen. Bruce Allen was then uh, the head of the Washington football team, the president, saying that the NFL commissioner, this is what they reportedly said, um, should not have pressured then Rams coach Jeff Fisher to draft queers. He was referring to Michael Sam. Remember, we covered that. He was the first gay, gay player, openly gay player drafted. That was back in 2014 using multiple anti-gay slurs in an email, but um, it didn't, you know, end there. Said he called someone, uh, Roger Goodell, a pussy uh, for wanting to take precautions when it comes uh, to, you know, head injuries or what have you in, in uh, football, in pro football. So the seminal question on Gruden was not whether or not people are going to like uh, the emails. They're not. They're ugly. Um, it's that, well, he wasn't with the Las Vegas Raiders at the time. This was years and years ago. Even this new trove from the New York Times that they talk about is a seven-year period that ended 2018. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting question. What is the relevance of time mm -hmm. to what somebody did? Do you give context to whether or not the mores were the same then, the sensitivities were the same? Uh, for the Vegas Raiders, the issue was, yeah. well, it didn't happen on our watch, 
But at one, what point does the person that you have now, the employer that you have now, have to act on what you did in the past? Well, yeah, and listen, the mores of the time, you don't say that, you know, a player, his lips were like uh, Michelin tires. I mean, I don't think that that was, you know, okay at any time. And it was okay to, to share, um, you know, images of cheerleaders and, um, and female uh, reps uh, and say, you know, nice job or comment on their, you know, personal parts or what have you. But listen, I have some breaking news. I have a response. Uh, John Gruden in now. I got to go and I got to get to the person who actually wrote the article for the New York Times. Love you, brother. I'll see you later. So again, quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.